you stand on the stage now, how do you compare that to those moments where you were anxious and wondering what people were thinking? Ooh. I wish I could go back and talk to that paper and be like, girl, just do it. I have rheumatoid arthritis. I've had it since I was 11 years old and it damaged the joints in my hands. There would be moments where I would feel super self-conscious and I would be like, okay, what are people thinking? I'm here because I work hard. I deserve to be here and I'm good at what I do. And if somebody wants to take away from, from all those things because they see a disability and not the rest of who I am, then that's their problem. God made us absolutely positively 100% limitless. I'm Jessica and I'm on a journey. Like a lot of us, I struggled with my weight, brought on by using food to fill every void, every worry, up to 270 pounds, all as my career in TV news was taking off. But when the weight led to high blood pressure, I had to make a decision to fight, to forgive, to love myself from within. We're all on a journey, and there's power when we share the lessons along the way so we can all decide to live. Welcome to Decide to Live. I'm your host, Jessica Larche. This is the show where we share stories that encourage us to embrace the challenges we face in our lives as a gateway to our greatness. And I have no doubt that today's guest will have you laughing at your limits as you break free and soar to your destiny. One of my best friends, comedian, actress, and incredible woman, Pavar Snipe. Pavar Snipe is stepping into the spotlight. She's part of an elite group of SNL hopefuls and a writer and voice actress for the new ABC summer hit show, When Nature Calls with Helen Mirren. Yes, a writer, even though doctors told her an arthritis diagnosis as a child would cripple her. But she refused to believe it and first made a name for herself on the famed Buddha Brothers Morning Show in the 757 and then leaps of faith, leading her to the stage. And now Paybar is the one having the last laugh. Paybar! Jessica! I just want to give you a big hug, but it is a COVID world, so we are doing this virtually. Oh, I love you. I miss you. I adore you. I love you. I miss you. You know, it, what's what's so um, really cool to see when you're back home in the 757 and you and I will be out and about and people will be like, that's Pavar. That's Pavar. Or someone will hear you speak and be like, oh my God, that's Pavar Snipe from the Buddha Brothers Morning Show. <laughs> it is so awesome to see that you have left this imprint really on, on the fabric of, of VA. How did being on this big show, especially at the height of the Buddha Brothers Morning Show, how did it shape you as a person? Oh my gosh. Um, when I think about the, the people that I met doing that show and how people reach out to me now from that, and that was over 10 years ago, it's, it's overwhelming. You know what I mean? It lets you know that you make an impact on people. I started writing comedy on the Buddha Brothers Morning Show because me and Mike Lord, God rest his soul, would do comedy pieces together. Uh, I would do impressions, you know what I mean? So being that I always knew that I loved Saturday Night Live and it was something that I always really was hoping to get to, I had no idea that I would, that spark would start in radio. You know what I mean? And that's where it started for me. Um, doing my Inside Download, which was like my gossip and entertainment segment and putting in my little funny spin on things here and there was pretty much me beginning to write monologues. Those were all the inner workings of me becoming a stand-up comedian now and, 
and working towards getting into the uh, the realm of late night television. It's so interesting to see when we look back the puzzle pieces, how God puts everything in place and, and we don't get what's going on at the time. But you're right. You started your career as a comedian and as an actress here in VA on the Buddha Brothers Morning Show. I absolutely did. I didn't know it at the time because I was really just having fun. I was in this amazing position where I got to get up, have fun with my friends who were like family and entertain thousands of people every day. Like that's, it's mind boggling that I had the opportunity to do that for so long. Like seven years is a long time to be in that position. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something, it's something. You know, when people do mention the show, you know, there's loss that, that happened, um, you know, with people that you loved on the show. How did losing uh, some of your, you know, your family, I, I don't want to say coworkers because they were your family. How did those losses really um, shape you and make you change the way you looked at life? Man, it, both times when we lost Mike Lord, lost him first and we were on air. And his mother called us. Miss Juanita called me and Big B that day and told us that my girl passed. And it, to say it hit like a ton of bricks when that just wouldn't be an understatement. A ton of bricks, a semi truck, the world falling down in front of you. Um, that was, it was like losing a, a part of your body. And then a few years later, after I was no longer on the morning show and, and DJ Law passed away, it was just like not even reality. You know what I mean? Until this day, I still have dreams. I have very vivid dreams where they didn't really die. Oh, it was a mistake. Oh, no, he didn't really, he didn't really pass away. Oh, there you go. You're here. Thank goodness you didn't. You know what I mean? It's, it's odd, but it's, it's the um, impression that they made on my life. And it also lets me know, no, they didn't really die. They're watching. They are. Maybe, maybe those dreams are, um, their way of sending you a wink from heaven that they're your guardian angels now. Absolutely. What was that like when they come in and they say, hey, we're doing these massive layoffs and we have to let you go? A uh, couple of things. We were in a way prepared because the writing was on the wall. They had already done one round of layoffs a few months before. And DJ Law was honestly very concerned that they were gonna get rid of the entire show uh, because of all of the changes that radio, the world of radio has made over the past decade. And that's going into automation and more syndicated shows. And so it's very rare that you'll see a local morning show nowadays, unless you're in, in one of the bigger markets like New York or LA and you see what, um, because they're preferring to put famous people in those slots across the country. And the day that I got laid off, the operations manager of the building um, conspicuously didn't come to work. And therefore it fell on DJ Law. He didn't know what was gonna happen. It fell on DJ Law to be the one to have to deliver this news to me that morning. And uh, it, was, it was a tough day. And I can honestly say that it was tougher for Law than it was for me. Um, he was very emotional. He was very upset that it even had to happen. And he, I think he was even more upset that he had to be the one to do it. It wasn't right. Yeah, it was tough. I was done, but I just walked out. I was like, okay. And I just got my stuff and I left. And I was just like, what am I going to do now? Uh, 
friends wanted to protest. They were ready to, to pick it outside the station. I was like, no, this, this, this is what it is. You know, if you work in radio or you work in media, at some point it's going to come for you. That was the end of that journey for me. But even though it took a while for me to figure out what my next thing, what my thing was going to be, my overall thing, it had to happen in order for me to, to move forward. It's one thing to know that now, but in the moment when things like that happen, again, it's like looking in the rearview mirror, you see now that that had to happen in order for you to be where you are today. Um, what would you tell someone who's maybe in the position now that you were when that major life-changing moment happened? Man, and so many people are there right now, right? Um, today does not define tomorrow. Today does not define tomorrow. Today does not define tomorrow. You define what your tomorrow is. You may be having a heavy moment. You may be having some heavy weeks. We are all clearly having some very heavy weeks. Um, and you're absolutely allowed to your feelings and your emotions and all those things. Um, but just know that there is something else that is greater for you and you just have to push on. And I know it's hard. Use the time that you can in the way that best suits you to grow, but today does not define tomorrow. I, I, I think that's an amazing way to look at it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna fast forward the story just a bit because it was in that in-between phase that you and I met. And I like to tell people that you picked me up at a black journalist meeting and took me on a date. And that was, <laughs> you, you nudged me and you were like, what's your number? <laughs> I gave you my number, then you text me, like, you hungry, you want cookies, stuff. And I'm like, mm -hmm. and then I'm like, is she asking me on a date? <laughs> Sorry, baby, my husband's here. That was one of the best first dates. <laughs> um, and, and, and so we really did become close quickly. Very quick, yeah. And so I, I, I preface that to say, one of the things though we never talked about, we never talked about the arthritis for, I think, for even maybe the first few years of our friendship. Yeah. And all I knew, all I knew is that your hands looked a little different and you didn't wear heels. That's all I knew. <laughs> and I figured, I said, well, if it's important to her to share with me wh what's going on, she'll tell me, but you never mm -hmm. mention it. I never asked because obviously you fall in love with the person as your friend and you move forward. And I said, well, she ain't talking about it. it must mm -hmm. not be a big deal, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget, and I know you're going to remember this, we were at a party uh, and this very yeah. man um, made a comment that enlightened me on what it was, but he did it in such a very cruel and arrogant way. You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, I absolutely remember. I absolutely remember. Yeah. It was very, it was, you're different and I want to acknowledge that you're different. Because we need to acknowledge that you're different in this room. That's what it was. And by me acknowledging that you're different, I am, I am, I am a great person. It was weird. It was an awkward situation. And the thing is, I have rheumatoid arthritis. I've had it since I was 11 years old. And it, you know, um, uh, damaged the joints in my hands. And I don't not talk about it on purpose. I just live. That would be like you talking about, you know, your earlobe. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, 
this is who I am and this is how I live, breathe and operate. And so unless it's a part of the actual conversation in which I would bring it up, it's not something that I talk about because it's not something that I think about when I walk around my every single my day to day. And the older that I've gotten through, you know, time, I start, you know, I started to realize, oh, okay, other people do see me differently. So I do need to acknowledge, you know, in a way that's comfortable for me. But also I've, I've come to the conclusion over the years that it's not my job to make somebody else feel comfortable. Amen. That's not my job. You do talk about it more because I think people who um, also live with arthritis see you living in spite of it and soaring and especially being so um, so in the spotlight that if they have people who were like that in their lives who make them feel so different, they see you out here in front of the camera on these comedy stages doing all of this and it's not even a thought and they get mm -hmm. to look at you and say, well, you know, it isn't a big deal. I'm not different. Mm -hmm. And look, that took growth. Like it took time to get to that place. You know what I mean? I remember my early days in radio, man, even I would say for most of my time in radio, I would, I was, I would be subconscious and people like that guy would, would pile onto that. And so like, getting past that feeling and being like, you know what, this, this is it. So I can't change it. It's not going to disappear. So you're going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to live my life uh, in the best possible way that I can. I remember having feelings of like, and a lot of people have anxiety before big performances and things like that. But in specifically in radio, like going to host big concerts or like a big, you know, a big event where you would sometimes be in front of thousands of people literally at Afrin Fest or Jams Fest or, you know, going to our high school, you know, there would be moments where I would feel super self-conscious and I would be like, okay, what are people thinking? What, what is somebody thinking? You know, is somebody thinking what's wrong with her? Oh, that's, you know what I mean? I would have those thoughts and I would have to push through those thoughts and be like, I'm here because I work hard. I deserve to be here and I'm good at what I do. And if somebody wants to take away from from all those things because they see a disability and not the rest of who I am, and that's their problem. And it's that takes time. And making the decision to become an actress, you know, and move past writing and be somebody who's going to be in front of the camera and not just behind the camera, that took growth. And that took some um, uh, talking to Dr. Nottingham. <laughs> therapist, our wonderful therapist, in which I need to see her. Um, but that took time. You know what I mean? And it's not an easy thing to do, but once I made that decision, oh man, even in my standup now, I specifically talk about having a disability and I specifically talk about, you know, having rheumatoid arthritis as a kid. In the seventh grade, I had to take something called specialized PE. You would do something called sweat until the old days by Richard Simmons. My boyfriend's back. <laughs> Big girls. <laughs> Don't cry. <laughs> you do it for 45 minutes, you do indeed work up sweat. <laughs> that was something that I did not do when I first started doing stand-up. And my boyfriend is the one who encouraged me to talk about that. When you stand on the stage now and you are evoking laughter and joy in front of all these crowds, standing there exactly how you are, confident and beautiful, how do you compare that to those moments where you were anxious and wondering what people were thinking? Ooh. 
I wish I could go back and talk to that paper and be like, girl, just do it. Girl, don't worry about it. Girl, you're good. You're going to be better than good. And anybody who's watching you and is, and is doing this, they don't matter. They don't matter. Because for, any, for every one of those people, there's so many more that are watching and saying, You know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's the point. That's what matters is for me to get up and show people that you can just, just do it. You can do it. It's not a limit. It's not a limit. It's not, it's not. Um, you mentioned your boyfriend, Brent, who I say, I love the way he loves you and how boldly he loves you, how outwardly he celebrates you and when I see you all together, the tenderness, and he's very caring and protective um, of you. And to experience that at this point in your life in such a beautiful relationship, I know it took time um, mm -hmm. to get to that. And I don't wanna to spend too much time here, but there is an important story um, that goes along with um, people not celebrating the totality of who you are. And, and there was a relationship where, um, you know, someone very immaturely uh, took a cheap shot in an effort to end the relationship. Um, tell our audience about that, because I think there is power in understanding the difference between love that is a facade and real love, which is what you have now. Mm, man, um, it was a blindsided type of breakup. And I just remember I specifically asked him, you know, what was behind this? Why was it so sudden? And he just said, I can't be with you because of your disability. And it was, oof, it was, it was, a, it was a punch. And it was a punch because A, it didn't just show up. Like this, you didn't, this is this didn't just appear. And it made me feel horrible because I felt like, oh, this person was holding this back and they were holding back a disdain. You have the right to not be with somebody because they they can't go out and do the same physical activities as you do. But what you don't have the right to do is make somebody feel less than or not good enough because of how you feel about their disability. And that was the problem. What is it like now to experience a love that celebrates the entire person of who you are? Oh man, it's um, it's uplifting. It's encouraging. It's a gift from a real love is a gift from God, and that's how I feel. That's what I get. And to love somebody back in that same way, to know that it's one hundred percent reciprocal, it's a three sixty thing. Uh, is is um, it's great. So, you know, we, we talk about love and love is a leap of faith and you are no stranger to taking <laughs> up multiple leaps of faith because going back now to, you know, the layoff from 103 Jams and then you started working at News 3, we were there together, you were working in the promotions department and so you were, you were there for several years kicking butt in that department you know, get yourself your good benefits, all, all those things. And then you call me in your office one day after I'd finished a report and you say, I, I think I need to leave. And I was like, you mean early? 
from work? And you said, no, I, I, I think I need to go to New York. Talk about the leap of faith from something that was very um, secure and very comfortable to chasing this desire you had in you to become a comedy writer. I called you in my office to talk about that. Yes, you did. I just got to that point at the station where I was just like, this job is cool, but I can't do this one thing for the rest of my life. Like this one thing is it. It just didn't, it didn't even make any sense anymore. And I was like, I really want to write comedy. So after I conferred with my wonderful friends, you and Bina and Ebony and just Maisha, just my great friends that I love so much and my parents, well, really my mom first, you know, it was really a conversation with God that got me out the door. It was a conversation with God in my room. And I was just like, all right, God, what, how can I make this happen? What can I do? And it was just like, quit, get rid of everything and get to New York. It was just as clear as day. And that's what I did. I sold everything in my house. I rented it out and I stayed a few nights at a friend's house. I paid her rent, a few nights at my dad's house. And I slept on an air mattress, a twin air mattress in a bathroom for a year and a half. Moved to New York in February of 2015. August of 2015 is when I got my job at WABC News in New York. And next thing you know, it was like Brooklyn, Harlem, WABC News, UCB Comedy School, just constantly moving, constantly just going back and forth. Now, mind you, I'm somebody with arthritis. So you're going from being in Virginia and driving around to now being in New York and hopping on that subway and walking a lot. And it was not easy at first. It was, there was some times where I was in pain and it was raining and I was by myself and I didn't have any friends yet. Walking in the city, I'm like, what am I doing? There better be something on the other side of this because this is not that great right now. I am not liking this. I'm lost and it's raining, but um, it was worth it because I, I did classes at the UCB. Uh, with stuff. If you don't know what UCB is, that's the Upright Citizens Brigade. It's a comedy school in New York City founded by Amy Poehler. And um, Matt Besser and some other funny people. And I started taking classes there. And that's where everything just kind of started to fall into place for me for comedy. You you reluctantly took that class. You you were nervous at first about being on the stage and, oh, I don't know. But there was a fortune teller as a part of this story <laughs> who said you would be in the limelight. Now, God, the, oh my God, I forgot about the fortune teller. Now listen, people watching may be like, oh, what kind of voodoo magic? Listen, we love sweet baby Jesus in the manger. Yeah. God is our foundation. But you went on a whim. I'm like, oh, I'll just check out this fortune teller. And I think God can work through whoever he wants to. Yes, he can. Okay, so God, Jessica, I forgot about this. So I went to go see, I went to see a psychic, y'all. Just don't tell anybody. I went to see a psychic. And when I went to New York, my intention was to be a writer. And I am still, I'm a writer first, not to be a performer. I went to New York. And so I, I go to see this psychic that one of my friends said was so accurate. And I was just like, oh, well, let me go see. And this woman was spot on about many things. And her main thing is, I feel like you want to be behind the scenes, but you're going to be in the spotlight. She was like, I see you on stage. You're going to be the one. And I was just like, what? And then she said, I see 30 Rock. And I was like, what? Fast forward to 
not even a year later, I was working at 30 Rock, not, not you know where, but I was a news producer at NBC News in New York. In 30 Rock. In the building. In the building. Not even in the building, on the same floor. Wow. On the same floor as Fallon and SNL. Like, so I was like, okay, that's uh, a little bit creepy. But again, I think that God will allow messages to come to us at, you know, whatever time. So, so here you are, you're in New York, you get to New York and you're working in different news departments. That's kind of like your day job to pay the bills mm -hmm. going to these comedy classes at night. You're developing all these different characters and you're really getting your footing. And then you feel the nudge from God to say, okay, it's time to jump again, this time to Los Angeles. Well, I got into this comedy writing program with CBS. So that's called the CBS Diversity Comedy Showcase. So I got into that. It's like a, almost like a six month program. It's about five, six month program I got into uh, to write sketches for this live comedy show. And so, yeah, I left in October of 2017. Yeah, 2017. And it was just supposed to be like, you know, a little temporary thing. So I went out there, did this very challenging, um, uh, program met some wonderful people and made some lifelong friends and because I was in the Writers Guild because of my news work in, uh, in New York I was able to join the Writers Guild in Los Angeles which put me in the room with Lena Waithe and all these amazing writers and you know started to form relationships and friendships with people and then I was getting um, recommendations, for, recommendations for jobs and I got a job writing on a video game and then I was like I think I'm supposed to live in LA. I scraped by for a few months and then next thing you know, I got hired at NBC Los Angeles. Wow, so again, at NBC LA, news writing for promotions, that's the day job. Mm -hmm. And then at night, at this point, you're doing um, comedy routines on stage yeah. at comedy clubs. Girl, your stuff is so funny. It, 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 and it's funny because it's real, even, even your characters, there's Mistress Zelda, who you know is my favorite. I tell the features of souls for the universe. <laughs> there was the um, police officer. I have a wonderful, modest lifestyle with my husband, Darwin, and our uh, pet Lima, Mr. Lubega. <laughs> the sex robot lady. Morning, sex robots. <laughs> Morning, sex robots. <laughs> I'm, I'm weird. Make it make money, money. Married a prince now, I'm moving in with you. Royal palace life, people can't smell you please. I, look, I have a, a very bizarre sense of humor. I like weird, zany, dark things. Things that may not, a uh, logical person might not even think of. I don't know where it comes from. I watch sketch comedy. Look, Carol Burnett, Saturday Night Live, you know, even Key and Peele more recently are the shows that I just, gravitated towards and I was one of those kids who wanted to be on TV like I wanted to be on Charles in Charge or uh, I wanted to be Tootie's little sister I just wanted to be on TV so bad so <laughs> all of these things that I'm doing now are just little Pavar finally getting to come out and really perform like I wanted to when I'm on stage I just uh, I just feel alive something else comes over me and I'm just like in that moment, I am that I'm that character. Just like Beyonce with Sasha Fierce. Like once I I put on that bee costume, I'm the bee. I'm now a bee. 
I'm a British bee. I'm a British bee named Betty Bumble. You know, you look at your life, and I like to say you've lived nine lives. <laughs> I mean, girl, I feel like I've lived thirty lives. Right. With with everything you've done. I'm 170 years old. <laughs> You said you're 107. No one would know it. No one would know it. But, you know, I, it's one, I wouldn't say you've never been afraid to leave. You have been afraid to leave, but you still mm -hmm. did it because did anyway. you did it anyway. What do you tell the person who is, you know, maybe they're in a place of comfort, but they feel the need to grow that spark inside of them, but they mm -hmm. are afraid to take the leap. What would you tell them as a professional leaper <laughs> who has really benefited so much when i was afraid to take that comedy class in la and i told you i was afraid and i was like that means i'm supposed to do it that's what i said i was like i'm afraid to take this class so i know that means i'm supposed to do it and that one move changed the trajectory of my entire life because i took that class i found out about that cbs program because i found out about the cbs program I went to Los Angeles. Because I went to Los Angeles, I met my boyfriend and got my dog and met, you know, had the love of my life. I met some fantastic people. I'm creating more comedy. I started doing stand-up. All these things came as a result of that one step that I was afraid to take. That one thing turned into this, 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 and this. So sometimes, even if it's a small, because somebody might think that taking a class is a small thing, right? Like that's just, that's one small thing. So sometimes it can just be that one small thing. Take that class, make that call, jump in on that seminar. You know, like that one tiny thing that you're afraid to do can change your life. I'm so grateful that so many more people will really, really hear your story and how you really have laughed at the limits others place on you. Cause it's not any limits you place on yourself. It's what other people think you can and can't do. And, mm -hmm. and you have soared. What do you say to anybody who's facing a limit right now? It could, you know, it could be a physical disability or a mental illness, or, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a loss of a job, a loss of a loved one. What do you say to the person who feels like they are limited in their life? There's nothing that God cannot do. God did not put limits on you. We put the limits on ourselves. We accept the limits that other people put on us. We have to remember that God made us absolutely positively 100% limitless. And you just have to make the decision to try. If you make the decision to try, if you remove the I can't, if you remove that, they won't let me. And you just start to take that one small step. There's always just one small step to whatever it is you wanna do. Just take it, just take it. And then ignore when somebody tells you that you can't or you won't or you shouldn't. Don't try, don't, don't, don't listen to that. When I was 16 years old, I told you about this before, Jess. Um, I used to go to CHKD a lot uh, for my rheumatoid arthritis. And I had this, uh, I guess she was a social worker. She was some lady, and we were talking about um, my future. I don't, I don't, I can't even remember the full context of the conversation, but I just know that she looked at me and said, "Oh, you'll never drive." And she said it so casually, so nonchalant, just like, 
just with that one statement, she decided I wasn't going to drive for the rest of my life, which meant I wasn't. When you tell somebody they're not going to drive, you're saying you're not going to be you're not going to be independent enough. You're not going to be able to do these things for yourself. And all I thought to myself was, that's not true. Yes, well, I didn't even consider what she said to be true. I didn't even consider it. It was like, okay, yeah, that's not true. That's the mindset that I have. That's the mindset that I've always had. And like I said, yeah, I have moments of, of anxiety and, and, and doubt, but I've pushed through those moments um, because of God and because of having faith that God made me this way for a reason. There's a reason for this. And if we can accept that there's a reason for it, whether it's to be an example of um, God's mercy and his glory and his power, or if it's to be an example of showing people what you can do when they say that you can't, I don't know. But I know that um, God made us limitless. Oh, Lord, I need some tissue around here. <laughs> Tavar. The great part about your story is that it is only just beginning. Yeah. Only just beginning. We have a picture of you walking into uh, 30 Rock. I believe that that will be manifested very soon because you are phenomenal, you are limitless, and you are showing all of us how to be limitless too. Pavar, I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you so much for being a guest on Decide to Live. Oh man, this was great. And you didn't make me cry. I thought it, I mean, I almost, but you know, I can't do a regular cry. So I was like, I'm not going to cry. You can't cry. I can't. You I, can't I, cry I, because your cry is, you have, a, you have a very interesting cry face. It is, it's a lot. My cry face is a lot. It's law. It's, it's, a loud wail that lasts for about seven seconds and then it's done. It's very weird. Nobody wants to see it. It's, it's a bizarre cry. And so I gotta hold it back. <laughs> I look, I spared our audience the bizarre cry, but when you win your first Emmy and your Oscar, they're gonna see it. Yeah, so. they don't see it. They're gonna be like, oh she okay. Is <laughs> she dying? What happened? Oh, no, she's fine. She's not. Oh, no, she's back. She's back. She's back. She's back. She's good. I love you, Pavar. Love you. Decide to live. You are limitless. I hope Pavar's story encourages you to know that you were built to break barriers. There are no mistakes in how you were created. It's all to serve your greater purpose. You have what it takes to live a limitless life. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Decide to Live. I'm Jessica Larche. Remember, a brighter day is just one good decision away. And I hope you decide to live. I just keep on pushing, 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 pushing.